unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my
time for our worship service to begin, so if you would, please come in. It sure is nice to see you visiting with each other this morning. I enjoy that part of it, seeing people as they come in, visit with each other. It's a good sign. Proud of it. I want to welcome you this morning to our worship service. If you're watching us live streaming, we appreciate you viewing there to see us. And just great to be here this morning. I hope you're all feeling well. If you're visiting with us, we want you to know you have a special welcome to assemble with us to worship. We're glad to have visitors. And if you would, make sure you pass this friendship register down the aisle or down the pew so we have a record of your visit. And if you are a visitor, I'd like to ask you to put your telephone number on there. There's not a place for that, but we'd like to have your telephone number. So as we prepare our minds to begin our worship service, would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beautiful day you blessed us with. We thank you that we're able to assemble today. We thank you, Father, for the privilege and the opportunities that we have to worship. We're thankful for each one here today. We're so thankful for each member. And we enjoy seeing the people visit with each other. And we appreciate that we have the love for one another that is that we see here. Now, Father, as we begin this worship service, we pray for each one that's going to be participating in this service, particularly, particularly Brother Ken, as he brings a lesson to do us. We pray, Father, we'll be attentive, that we would participate as we should, and as a result of that, grow spiritually and be drawn closer to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. We'll be singing number 23 to start off our worship this morning. If you would, stand with me and let's sing out to our Lord this morning. Our God, He is alive.
Before we go to our God in prayer, we'll sing uh, Low in the Grave He Lay, and then we'll fall behind that, Have Thine Own Way. Let's sing the verses in the chorus.
Let us all pray together this morning. Uh, Father in heaven, we give thee our thanks for this another Lord's Day. We're thankful, Father, that we live in a land where we can assemble together and worship thee. And we pray, Father, that I worship through thee this day will be pleasing in thy sight. We're thankful, Father, for our elders and God, our blessing be upon them. And we pray that we be a guiding hand in every decision they make, Father. We're thankful for this congregation of people and everyone that makes up the congregation. We're thankful, Father, for those long ago that prepared this building for us to assemble in and they may have sacrificed for us, Father. We're so thankful for them. We're thankful for the families that still remain with us this day. We pray for those that are sick of our number, Father, for those that have asked to enter in our prayer, Father, at their blessing be upon them, and for those that have lost a loved one, we ask to comfort them, Father. We pray, Father, for Brother Ken as he bring the message of the hour, and pray that I give him good membership study, and we pray for him and me that they will labor with us many, many more years, and we can grow in spirit, also in number, Father. We pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray that we recognize this, Almighty God, and that they will lead our nation in a way that will honor Thee, Father. We ask Thee, Father, that would forgive of any sin that might be in our lives as we repent and turn from those things, Father. That they be with us through the service this day. It is our prayer when our life is over that would prepare a home for us. In Christ's name, amen. If you'd like to mark, ooh, loud that time. Uh, if you would like to mark your hymnal number 903, there's power in the blood, number 903. We'll sing one song, uh, How Great They Are, How Great Thou Art, before Brother Ken leads us uh, in our call. <laughs> Oh my God,
reading Romans chapter 1 verse 16 through 17 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith Good morning, everybody. It's terrific to see you. I hope you had a, a really nice week. That's behind you. And now you're looking forward to something extraordinary. Yes? I know that there are some people here today who are looking to go to camp. I'm actually one of them. And today I flipped that switch. I can't wait to get to Bible camp and to experience all that it has for me. Tony Brown told me this morning, he said, Now, Ken, when you get there, take your shoes off. Because when you get to Maywood, you'll be standing on holy ground. <laughs> Is that a little bit over the top? I could just see him dressed up like Moses, can't you? Got his staff and welcoming me there. Don't think this is his week. Nevertheless, I just have that image. Uh, if we have kids going, some adults are going, I'm looking forward to something extraordinary. Now, if you're not going to camp, you can make your week extraordinary too, okay? Just, just walk with God. Will you do that? Today, I want to share with you Maybe the most important thing you'll ever hear. I told Anita coming over here that today those who are in the audience are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today will be kind of, I guess, kind of a catharsis moment for me because I'm going to get that off of me and I'm going to lay it on you. What you do with it, that's up to you. But I'm just thinking today is a marvelous day because I will be able to stand before God and say, you know, right there on July 24th, 2022, 
Before the Boonville Church of Christ, I presented the gospel, and everybody who was in there, well, they had the opportunity to respond if they wanted to or not. So I see a lot of great things ahead, don't you? Before we start all of that, let's pray that God will bless us in this great endeavor with his word. Our Father, thank you for the blessing of a new day. For some of us, we saw the rain falling early this morning, and for that, we are so grateful. We're thankful, Father, that you have, in fact, preserved our lives to this moment. And this can be a seminal moment in our lives. It could be the moment that we come face to face with the truth and we respond in a positive way to it. I pray that's the case for somebody here. I pray in a way that that's true of everybody, whether that is in response to obedience to the gospel, whether that is in response to maybe a neglect of the gospel. Whatever the case is today, Father, I just pray that you'll touch all of us with your word. Thank you for the power of the one gospel that you have given. Help us all in our own way to be faithful to the presentation of it and to the keeping of it. Help me, Lord, to communicate in a way that is able to be received by everybody here today and be with everyone here that no matter their background, history, baggage, that they can hear you speak clearly today. And thank you for the privilege of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. We sang about it already, but I just want to state it at the beginning. God is powerful. No reaction. Listen, folks, God is powerful. Now, here's the thing about... Here's the thing about the power of God. God is incredibly powerful and He can do some things for man who in His own right has His own kind of power, but God can do things in His position of power that man cannot do. Now, when I say man's powerful, you look through history. Even some of the history that's recorded for us in the Scriptures, it, it's mind-boggling. There are many cases in Scripture where God's people were basically on the bottom of the food chain, that there were way more powerful nations at the time simply because of their neglect or forgetting God. But still, if you go from the start all the way until now, you realize there have been powerful men who walked this earth. And many of them led impressive civilizations, many of which we still talk about today. But as amazing and powerful as some men have been throughout history, there is one thing that not any of those men could do. They could not save themselves from sin. They could not do it. They could not save themselves from the consequences of sin. Now, sin is real. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 kind of puts the slant on it. For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. We've looked at this idea many times before. God's original intention was for man's glory. And he was going to live in that immaculate garden and he's going to have dominion over everything that exists. That is the ultimate dream of God, except for sin. And now man has fallen short of God's desire for him, of God's purpose in him for his own glory. But that doesn't mean that all hope is lost. It isn't. I know and you know from your study of Scripture, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, that text says that the wages of sin is death. So there's your consequence. You sinned, you fell short of the glory of God. In your sin, the payment for that sin is death. But he says, and here's the hopeful part, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The text that we had read for us a moment ago so beautifully and displayed on the screen tells us that God's power to save is the gospel. I do not have to experience spiritual, eternal death. I don't have to. I may be a sinner, but I don't have to experience the consequence personally. God can save me. That's His thing, His power. I want to look at the power of the one gospel, and I want to look at it with you from the standpoint of several depictions of power that God has manifested throughout His time with us. The first I want to share with you is one that's apparent to all of us, and that is God's power in the world's creation. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being witnessed by us. It's being witnessed, he says, by a people, an ungodly people. In the context of this passage, you've got a description between those who would aspire to know God and those who are the unrighteous men who would suppress truth. So since the creation of the world, all of his attributes, what makes God, he says, have been clearly seen. And he says they're understood by the things which he made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, those ungodly, unrighteous ones, are without excuse. In other words, those who would disdain God or turn their back on God or refuse to listen to God, he says they're doing so in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. It's obvious, he says, from what we see that God exists. And all of the attributes of God are easy to understand. One thing that's easy to understand is when you, you know, just look out the window. You see the evidence of God's work. God's creative power. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, 
That text says that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are made were not made of things which are visible. We understand that the worlds were framed or made by the word of God. God's very words brought all of creation into existence. He says you can just see by the parts of the things that exist that there is, at the very least, there is order. There is a plan in place. You can experience that. He says we know it by faith. Now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You and I can have the blanks filled in in terms of the knowledge of creation simply by examining the scriptures. And what we learn is just what we identified by faith there in Hebrews 11. And that is that what came into existence came into existence by a powerful God, so powerful is He, that He brought things into existence by His words. Genesis begins this way. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God descended upon the face of the waters. And then this, And God said, let there be. And then just stop. Put an ellipsis there, because what ensues is a description of every single day of creation. And everything that God does, He speaks into existence. Well, that is until He frames man out of the dust of the earth. But in man's situation, God breathes into him the breath of life. Something very unique. God brings everything into existence. This all-powerful God, by simply speaking His imagination into reality. Acts chapter 14 and verse 15, in the argument that he's developing about the things that exist, he says that God is the one who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. It was God who spoke it, and then it was. But then again, that matter of man. You know, when man was created and that breath of life was put into him, Another unusual component is mentioned in the Scriptures, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, and that is that God made man in His own likeness. God made man in His own likeness. That's an interesting way to put something, isn't it? Everything else, we get... Imagination, God's mind in words. Now God, when He creates man, He's creating him to be like Himself. Man is able, among other things that we could say, He is able to make choices. And I'm, I'm not talking about incidental things. Ultimately, what we're concerned about is that God is, a, God is able to empower man with the ability to make a choice between whether or not he will obey this all-powerful God who can speak and things will become a reality, who can fashion the very creature itself out of dirt and bring life into him. He gives that creature 
the privilege, the ability to make a choice. You know, it's, it seems to me like a no-brainer that given all of those circumstances, I would just do what he says. But, but not so. The crazy thing about all of this is that when man is given this privilege, this opportunity to choose whether he will obey or he will not obey, he chose not to obey. What in the world? And that is something that we have chronicled from the beginning And it stands even until now. As much as we might strive to make it otherwise, eventually, all of us, even with the very best of intentions, stumble and commit sin. We do. To say otherwise, John says in 1 John chapter 1, is to lie, is to deceive or be deceived. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, I mean, this this is pretty in your face, that there is none righteous, no, not one. (laughs) Or the text that we saw a moment ago, a little bit later in chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. For He's appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. And He says that He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. The very fact that God went to an extraordinary length to let His own Son come and live among us, die, and then to use the incredible, unbelievable, unimaginable power to raise Him from the dead to live again. He says that is the proof that you need to repent because God is in charge not just of the living now, but of what is to come. In view of the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, He is the first fruits of those who are resurrected, we are all going to be resurrected. And on that wise, we are all going to face God, who made it all possible, yes, but still, His righteousness is on display. And when I have chosen to disobey, He says, you better, well, you better repent. Oh, sin's a problem, isn't it? It certainly is. Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, that that the Lord's hand is not short that He cannot save, nor is the ear heavy that He cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. God wants to see us. God wants to listen. God wants to be involved with His creation in which originally He just wanted to see nothing but glory. He gave us the choice, and what did we choose? To sin. And sin causes separation. Question, whose fault is that? That's my fault. I have the choice to make, and I chose chose wrong. And in choosing wrong, I bring death upon myself. That's not God's fault. That's my fault. And God warns us about that. And yet, with every single warning that we receive, we still turn to sin. Why do we do that? You know, there is good news. Actually, actually the good news has to do with the fact that even though God created this world and He created man, 
The fact is that God also has the power to make a new man. Listen to me now. He created everything with a word. He brought man into existence, breathed life into him, gave him choice. Man chose wrong. Wait, hold on. All is not lost. Hope remains because God also is powerful enough to recreate a man, to make him all new again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, those who are in Christ, he says, have become a new creation. A new creation. Can you describe that for me a little bit? A little bit. Paul kind of goes an end around when he describes it in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17 says, This I say therefore in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. God's again involved in the creation process. I ruined it, right? My sin ruined it. Took away the glory that God wanted to invest in me, in you. But God can restore that. But that only happens, he says, in Jesus Christ. So, no doubt about it, God is, God is so powerful. God's so powerful that He speaks the world into existence. God is so powerful that, that He fashions a man in His own likeness. And God is so powerful that He can create a new man out of one that has been soiled and dirty, has become unrighteous. God can do that. Well, what else can God do? Well, we see God's power in Christ's resurrection. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that text says that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus being resurrected from the dead signifies to the fullest degree God's power over death and God's power over sin. Made real and possible, not just in His own resurrection, but in our resurrection too. Our resurrection? Yeah, what's so significant about resurrection? Why do we care about Jesus' resurrection? Well, Jesus' resurrection is a promise of our resurrection too, of that newness that we were looking for. Not lost eternally, but now being able to be saved. Jesus' resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. Paul says that if Christ didn't raise, then your faith is it's futile. You're still in your sins. You see, there's something about that resurrection 
that makes possible forgiveness of sins. Without it, he says, no sin's forgiven. I know that when Jesus died, Acts 2 verse 23, that it was according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. I know God's plan was that. However heinous and awful the hands, the blood on the hands of those who are guilty of crucifying Jesus, all of that happened according to God's dictates, determined purpose. He's going to make it happen no matter what. And look at the history of Israel, right? There were so many twists and turns to that, but God made this happen. And so his son dies on the cross. That's something had to be. Maybe a way to describe it is there's a short second section in Philippians chapter 2 that describes for us that whole scenario. Essentially of Jesus's determination to come and live among us and die for us. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about that. Jesus comes, He lives, He dies, He glorifies the Father, but there is no greater glorification of God than seeing through the plan that God founded before the foundation of the earth. To see Jesus die on that cross for us is a picture of agony and suffering. It is condemnation on our part because we know that our sins carry Jesus to that cross. Those sins are holding Jesus on that cross. But when Jesus comes down and He's buried, it is the glory of God that brings forth the resurrected Jesus and God is greatly glorified in that just as He is every single time well, not just that physical resurrection, but every time there is a spiritual resurrection. Wait, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I see God's almighty power in raising His Son from the dead. But I also see God's almighty power when He raises us up from spiritual death to life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says that you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. See what God can do? God can take us from a condemned situation into one in which we are saved. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3, 4, and 5, says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You had nothing because of sin. Not even the glory of God remained in us. But because of Jesus, we can have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, and will never, ever fade away. 
so Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says that we are raised to newness of life. Verse 7 says that he who has died has been freed from sin. That death is taking place somehow or other, as we've seen from these other passages, in connection with the resurrection of Jesus. What in the world's going on there? So I see the power of God in terms of the world's creation. I, I see Him creating the world. I see Him creating man and breathing into Him life. I, I see Him making man according to His own likeness. I see that God then is able to make a new man once we've corrupted that by sin. And then I see this power. I see this power of the resurrected Jesus, a bodily resurrection, but also signifying a spiritual resurrection. What is all of that? Well, I want to try and bring that together for you. That has to do with the power, God's power, in man's salvation. So our text, that's really key here, isn't it? Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here's something I want all of us to understand today. God is so powerful that He is able to save every single one of us. I don't care what baggage you have or what concerns about the decisions that you made in the past. Right now today, God has the power. He is able to save you. God has the ultimate power to move whatever is necessary to bring about the forgiveness of your sins. Remember we said man's powerful. He's not powerful enough to save him, no. But God is powerful enough to save you. He can make you new again. God can do that. But here's what I really want you to pay attention to. If you die without having tapped into the power that God has to save you, if you fail to do that, then you are going to be lost forever and ever. Because you will stand before God without any glory at all. You will stand before God in your sin and you will be responsible for it. And you will pay the penalty of that sin, which is death. The good news in all of this is that Jesus has paid the debt so that those who believe and are baptized can be saved. You can be saved. Now, wait a minute. What, what, what was that? What are you talking about? Well, if I were going to bring together the matter of salvation first... I would remind us of what the gospel is. We've been throwing that term around. We've seen it a little bit when we talked about the resurrection of Jesus, but I want us to be just as, as plain as can be. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 describes for us exactly the components of the gospel. 
Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you have received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now that text says, here is the message that will save you. It's the gospel. Oh, let me be plain. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Over in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, we tapped that idea in verse 4 about rising in newness of life. But do you know what made that possible? He said, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Here's the deal. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is the spiritual death, burial, and resurrection of the person who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Our own passage says that belief is a prerequisite to obedience to the gospel. Did you notice that? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Belief is a prerequisite to obeying the gospel. The gospel being the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Baptism. Ken, is there any simpler way that you could share that with us? Actually, the simplest thing that I know to do is look at Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. I mean, this is Jesus' declaration, the very last thing He has to say as He is ascending to the Father. He gives His apostles this great commission. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Now you understand belief is important, John chapter 8 and verse 24. If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. But our passage said that a person has to obey the gospel in order to be saved. In order to be saved in obedience to the gospel, a person has to first believe. We saw that the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is found in baptism as the spiritual component of washing our sins away. So let's put that together. Here in this passage, he says that he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Here is not... Here's something he did not say. He did not say, he who believes will be saved. Or he who is baptized will be saved. He says the person who believes and is baptized will be saved. Both of those components are mighty important because that's what the Lord has commanded for us to do. And it makes sense, right? When I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it motivates me. It motivates me to change my life and to live for Jesus. It motivates me to proclaim that truth. Yeah, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Of course I do. Why wouldn't I? And then not only that, I want to die with Jesus. I want to have His blood wash my sins away. I want to obey the gospel because that will save me. There's an example of all of that, if you'd like to read it. It's found in Acts chapter 8. 
We'll just look specifically at verses 36, 37, and 38, but I will tell you that it is a story about a man by the name of Philip, an evangelist, who is told by an angel and then later by the Spirit to join himself to a chariot that is inhabited by none other than an Ethiopian eunuch who's been reading the Scriptures. He has a scroll of Isaiah. He's actually reading from Isaiah 53 that describes the suffering servant who has identified in this passage as being none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He goes on to tell about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Now you know what topic that will always bring us to. When we talk about the physical death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that naturally brings about a conversation about the spiritual transformation that can take a person from death to life, from unrighteousness to God's righteousness, baptism in water, burial and resurrection, having our sins washed away, the old man left behind. So there are the Ethiopian eunuchs listening to that story about Jesus, and then very naturally, they're driving along, and he says, see... Look, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now the text goes on to tell us that that eunuch, when he came up out of the water, he went on his way rejoicing. Why is that? because he was confounded by what he was reading in the Scriptures. He didn't understand about forgiveness of sins. It just seems like this suffering servant, who is it? Is it the writer or somebody else? Philip says, let me tell you, it is Jesus. And not only is he suffering, but he's suffering for your sins. You can have those sins washed away. Oh, well, here's water. What would keep that from happening? Well, the only thing that would keep it from happening is whether or not you believe. You see... Belief and baptism resulted in salvation. It sure did. When I read this text here, especially verse 17 of Romans chapter 1, it says, In it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As is written, the just shall live by faith. Is, is that a little bit confounding? The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel? Righteousness, that's a big old word. But it really talks about rightness. Or let's just use this word, good. Goodness. God's goodness is demonstrated in the gospel. Or let's, let's use our, our learning today. Gospels, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. God's goodness toward us is seen in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, I hear this sometimes. People will say, God is good all the time. And then somebody will respond, what? All the time, God is good. That's just catchy, you know, catchy. And uh, if I were to ask you, well, what are you talking about? You know, sometimes people say, God is good all the time when some good's happened to them. I'll say, this is a blessing for God. You don't hear that much when something really bad happens, when circumstances go down the tubes. You don't hear that that much, but it's just a phrase we sometimes use. Just want to, you know, elevate God. Some good's happening. God's good all the time. All the time, God is good. Let me tell you something. 
God is good whether something good happens to me or not. Whether I'm happy or I've had my bank account full or I've got an automobile, I've got a house, none of those things really describe the goodness of God. God's goodness is described, according to this text, it is revealed in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the reason that's true is this. So God created that man. He spoke everything into existence. He fashioned that man out of dirt and he breathed into him the breath of life. Man should have been so grateful, but the first thing he does is turn around and sin against God. He had a choice and he chose sin. And ever since, people who care... Now, I want to say that because there are some people who don't care. So, some people do not care. Don't talk to me about Jesus. Don't. I'm an atheist. You know, I don't even believe it. Just get away from me. I don't want to hear it. Okay, that's your choice. God gave you the right to choose that way. But I'm not talking about those folks. I'm talking about people like you and me who have committed sin. And we feel terrible about that. If it were not for the death, burial, and resurrection, we would go to our death and be eternally separated from God, feeling bad about having committed sin, but having nothing to do with it. Nothing to, to deal with it. We would just be lost. And we would feel so bad. Can you see the tragedy in that? And, and I see the way God works with His people from the very beginning. People would sin, they'd turn away from Him. He'd be so patient with them. And like when we were sitting in the, in the judges, He'd send deliverers, and then they'd learn better, they'd come back for a while, and then they'd go, just wishy-washy, humans are wishy-washy, sin, sin, sin. But there are some people who, when they sin, they feel terrible about it. They have this godly sorrow. They want to repent. I want to do better. For those people, throughout the course of history, not the people who said I don't care, but those people who were lost but so much wanted to be saved. God gave through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you will, an eternal reset button. You commit sin? Yes. Are you aggrieved over your sin? Yes. Would you do different if you could do different? Yes. God says, here's my son. If you will be washed in his blood, then I'll reset you. I'll make you new again. I'll give you another opportunity. All is not lost. Oh, God, God is good all the time. God's power to save you is the gospel. Obedience to the gospel will wash your sins away. You will be a new creation. If you fail to do that, that is your choice. But understand that it is a choice that you make. God has moved heaven and earth literally to make salvation possible for every single person. No matter the baggage you carry, Jesus' blood can wash your sins away. If you believe and you are baptized, you will be saved. Jesus promised it, and I believe that. 
But do you believe that? If you do and you haven't, then you're making a choice today not to obey God. And your eternal destiny will be in your own hands. But today, today, if you do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you're submitting yourself, you know, you're repenting of your sins, you're ready to make that confession that that Ethiopian eunuch made, that Jesus is the Son of God, then you can have, literally in this very moment, have your sins washed away in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You will die in that water, you will rise a new creation. Those sins will be gone, and you will have made a choice that God can't make for you. He's powerful. He's going to make you be saved. You need salvation today? Then why don't you come forward and make that known while we stand together and sing.
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my
Lord's Supper, we'll sing how deep the Father's love.
For anyone who may need the emblems of the Lord's Supper, those are available and the ushers will provide you with that. And as they are doing so, I want us to take a moment and I want us to think about some of the various events that took place throughout Scripture and the time before Jesus came to the earth. And as we think about the Old Testament, as Paul tells the Romans in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, that the things that were written before were written for our learning. And one such instance is that in the account in Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham and Isaac travel to Mount Moriah. And it is there that a sacrifice took place. Abraham was called by God to sacrifice, the text tells us, his only begotten son, in this instance being Isaac, the son of promise. And upon this, we find that a substitute sacrifice was offered in his stead. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. My friends, that's exactly what Jesus did for us when he came to this earth, when he lived the perfect life, setting the perfect example and giving his, himself willingly, suffering things that are difficult, if not impossible, for us to even begin to fathom. But he did it for us. He did it because he loves us. And the least that we can do in return is to take some time and to remember that sacrifice. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you at this time and we thank you so much for all that you have given us and continue to give us. But the greatest blessing of all is your son coming and living upon this earth, being as the text tells us, tempted as we are yet without sin, so that he might be the perfect sacrifice, so that we might have the hope and the promise of eternal life with you. As we prepare to partake of this emblem symbolizing the bruising and the crushing of his physical body, may we be reminded that he did it for us, and may we partake in a way 
that will be pleasing unto you. And it is for this that we ask, and in Jesus' name, amen. And likewise, the Apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, simply stating that the blood of Christ is how we obtain redemption and forgiveness of sins. And in like fashion, that is the purpose of us partaking of what we know as the fruit of the vine to remember and to represent the blood that he shed for us once more to make that possible. Again, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we once more come to you. We approach you thanking you for all things. We thank you again for your son coming and so willingly giving his life so that we might have this hope and this promise and this blessing of salvation. And as we remember the blood that he shed for us so freely, may we once more partake of it in a way that is pleasing unto you and may we ever place our focus upon it. And it is for this once more that we ask, and in Christ's name, amen. And of course, another very important thing that we do as the body of Christ is to give freely of our means financially. And we see again throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament, for example, under the law of Moses, we see what are known as free will offerings, voluntary offerings. And it's the same way today under the new covenant, we can see examples of that, the instruction for it, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we can see in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, uh, for example, when he speaks of the importance and the purpose of this, and thanks to the advancement of technology, we can give online and there are other means by which we can do that as well that have been made available and you are encouraged to utilize whichever option may work the best for you, but regardless of what you may choose, let us remember that the purpose of this is to carry on the work of the church and once more, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we once more come and we approach you for all things. We thank you as well for the material blessings of this life that you 
give us. We thank you for the funds in which you have entrusted to us and so that we may give back a portion of it to your kingdom, the church. And again, we just pray that as from time to time that you will be with our elders as they make decisions on how to utilize these funds and may they do so in a wise and discerning manner. And may we give correctly as well. And may we do so in a wise and discerning manner as well. And may we someday in all things be found to be faithful. And it is for this that we ask and in Christ's name, amen. On May the 29th, we had a fifth Sunday, which was our Missions Sunday. We collected $28,235 for mission work to add to the budget that was already in place. What most people don't know is that the budget we have currently, all that money was allocated. So that meant that the contribution that we had would allow us to be able to do some things that we previously were not able to do. So we took that money and here's what we did with it. We gave $12,000 to uh, Rob Robinson or Don Robinson. He works with 21st Century Global Missions. We're gonna be supporting him through that $1,000 every month, at least for the year, because that's the money you gave us. We had Paul Gerber here just a few Sundays ago, sharing with us the work that they're doing in South Africa and a plea for money to help support Bridget's place. The mission committee sent $10,000 in support of that. Well, Brother Terry Smith does work in Uganda. We supported him last year from contributions made off of that mission uh, contribution, so this year, we were satisfied with the work that he had done and we sent him $4,000 like we did last year. We had Ronnie Gutum here just two or three months ago. He was sharing with us the work that he and his entire family is doing in India. So we put our toe in the water and we're supporting him $1,000 for this year or $2,000 for this year, $166.67 a month. And then we sent $1,000 uh, in support of geofencing. That's $29,000. Hey, we spent it all. Thank you very much. It is not the intention of the mission committee to hoard up money. We think the mission of the church is to share the gospel. And so we felt like just spreading it around. So thank you so much for your contributions. And you can know how that extra bit is being put to use. Well, that was only two months ago, but have you looked at the calendar? Next Sunday is a fifth Sunday also, the 31st. The elders have designated the 31st as Capital Projects Sunday. Doesn't that just have quite a ring to it? Capital projects. That just means we're taking care of the physical buildings 
on this campus. But for this, for this Sunday, we have one thing in mind. And I don't know if you have looked at the exterior of this building, but if you will look at this section, especially the top section, the A-frame, it has framing and glass panels in it. If you look toward the top, you will notice that several of those panels are broken. And they're, from down here, they look this big. That's not just a cosmetic issue. Every time it rains, water comes inside that wall. And eventually, it will create catastrophic damage. So the elders have highlighted this fix as being one of our capital projects from the contribution. I'll tell you why we're doing it that way. For instance, you know that one of our major concerns was the porch out here. Well, out of the funds that we already had set aside for capital projects, we were able to uh, do the masonry work and secure that so that it won't fall in. I think that was a pretty good choice, don't you? This is kind of on that same level. It's important that we get that done. Unfortunately, we really don't have the funds in that account to take care of that project. The architect who looked at it and the engineers that were involved have given us an estimate of somewhere in the neighborhood of $40,000, $40,000. But that's got to be done sometime. And the way things are going, you know, next year it might be $80,000. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure, given the way this congregation responds to needs, that that won't be a problem. Right? Just nod your head this way. Just appease me. Yeah, Ken. Woo, we can do this. Let's, let's, let's try to take care of that need, okay? And God will bless us for it because he wants to take care of the things he's put in our hands. So be thinking about your contribution for next week. Go ahead and, and plan what you can do. And we'll look forward to seeing what it is that God has in store for us. Good morning. Aren't you glad you were here today? Most definitely. We had 272 in attendance today. Uh, let me... Please keep Alicia Dunlap in your prayers. She has had bypass surgery in Tupelo at the North Mississippi Medical Center and is in serious condition. She is the wife of Carl Dunlap, who preaches for the Ozark Church of Christ. I was also given a card that says, Dear beloved brothers and sisters, thank you for your love and support during our recent loss. The cards, the prayers, the phone calls, and the visits were so comforting to us and are deeply appreciated. The meal after the service was beyond outstanding. The fellowship was so comforting. Our church family has been such a comfort supporting the multiple losses in our family over the past 25 months. We love you and we thank you. And may God bless and keep you, the family of Verlin Davis. If you have your bulletin, we'll quickly go through these. Uh, there's an extensive sick list on the inside cover. I just want to highlight a couple of things on the back cover. Zion's Rest will be in charge of the landmark nursing and rehab today um, at 4 o'clock. The bus will leave from the TAC at 1 for Maywood Church Camp. Your name must be on the list to ride the bus. 
Tomorrow, uh, Amy Langley is still needing volunteers to help feed the band at, at the high school. Um, please be there at 9.30 if you can help. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Next Sunday at 3.30, there will be a Bible class teachers meeting. Uh, this is for anybody that's taught, wants to teach, or even thinking about teaching. And Stephen Hodgen, I'm sure he'll take you even if you don't fall in any of those categories. So, and also there's a bridal shower table set up in the foyer for Crystal Jackson, which is the bride elect of Kristen Michael. If you will, if you will, please stand and I'll dismiss us in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we humbly bow before you today, thanking you for the many blessings of this life. Lord, I thank you for what's going on in this church. I thank you for what's going on in your church. Lord, I'm excited to see what the future holds. Lord, I ask that you be with all of those that are listed on the sick list and comfort them and heal them in a way that only you can, if it be thy will. Lord, I ask that you be with the campers today as they go to Maywood. Keep them safe and allow them to learn more about you and walk closer to you. Lord, as always, I would like for you to keep in your mind and your thoughts, the students, the teachers and employees of the school districts. Lord, just, just give them the, the guidance that you would have them to share your word within those walls because, Lord, we do know that teachers and employees do not check their Christianity at the doors. Lord, I ask your blessings upon each and every one of us. God, guard and direct us. Forgive us of our many sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.